0: Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is the Friday broadcast, and I love Friday. It's my second favorite day of the week, so I remind you it's Friday, but Sunday is coming, and I hope that you'll be worshiping somewhere this week in a Bible-believing church. Go to a church that has a high view of scripture, where the pastor believes the Bible, preaches the Bible, and lives the Bible. I tell you what, it'll make a world of difference in your life, I am so thankful for the church. You know, the Bible says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. In other words, if you're in a church, you are protected from the gates of hell. That promise is not given to individual believers, that promise is given to the church. So there is security within the church. There is protection within the church. Now, it doesn't say the enemy won't try to come against the church. It just says that the enemy can't prevail against the church. So you are safe when you are in a church. I've discovered something about people in their growth. I have yet to meet what I would consider a strong, mature believer who is not connected with the church somewhere. They get their strength from the church because they're living in obedience and they're not forsaking the assembly of themselves together. They realize that they have giftings that belong and are used to glorify God through the church. They're a blessing to other believers. You know, when you're in the church, you learn to get along with other people. I discovered that I can get along with myself if it's only me, but when I have to deal with other people, uh, that puts a true test to whether or not I can get along well with others. Uh, Have you ever thought that maybe God wants you in the church just so that you can learn to get along with other people? You know, when my wife and I were were married, and we were talking about how many children that we wanted to have. And and I wanted to have six, and she wanted to have three, and uh, we ended up with five, okay? And one of the reasons that I wanted to have many children, and and this was us personally, we prayed about it. And uh, I said, well, uh, one of the reasons I don't want to have just one child is because I I fear that that one child would be spoiled rotten, right? And so by having brothers and sisters, uh, you kind of learn to get along with each other. Now, uh, that's no guarantee that you can learn to get along with each other, because I know some people that come from really big families, and they got sick and tired of dealing with other people, and they turned to be selfish people, right? Uh, So there's no promise. But I say, I want to set the odds in my favor, and so I want my kids to learn how to get along with one another. Well, the church is kind of the same way. We learn to get along with one another. Well, today, I want to talk to you about What happens when I repent? What happens when I repent? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, and then verses 4 and 5 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and in your sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. But because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Now, I'm reading a devotional called Believe, It's a 365-day devotional, and the subtitle is, What I Believe, Who I Am Becoming. And on one particular day, this devotional says this. If you enter through the security gate at an airport in Argentina, you will see a sign that has big red letters saying S-I-N. Beside the word are pictures of different objects such as sunglasses, wallets, and belts. The sign is telling all the passengers they must pass through the security checkpoint, but sin, meaning without any of these objects. To enter into a relationship with God, we need to be without sin or to be free from sin. Paul tells us that because of our sins, we are spiritually dead without God. For the wages of sin is death, Paul says in Romans 6.23. You see, trying to have a relationship with God as a sinful human being It's like trying to get through the airport security at the airport with a forbidden contraband. I guess you could say it's kind of like going into the prison. They put you through a metal detector, they put you through a, a scanner, and you are forbidden to bring contraband into the institution. But thank God that Paul goes on to finish his statement in Romans with, But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, Christ came to make it possible for you to become alive through God by Him indwelling your life. Your sins are forgiven through Jesus' death. If you accept that free gift, you can now enter into a relationship because you have been eradicated of your sin or you have repented of your sin. Well, let's talk about what happens when I repent. I think there's got to be, first of all, This aha experience where you understand you went off the wrong direction. You fell into sin. You come to the realization that because you find yourself in a distant country, uh, maybe you find yourself penniless and senseless and defenseless and homeless, and all of a sudden you come to your senses. The manner of life by which someone destroys himself is they come to their senses. And then there's this great awakening. And I think about the story of the prodigal son. He was dead in a distant country. But he came to his senses, and he has this awakening, and he says, well, where in the world am I? And then he remembers where he could be. You have this brutal honesty. You realize that my circumstances, how I ended up where I am, why I ended up where I am, has got to make a change in my life. In Luke chapter 15, we read these words. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. He was filled with love and filled with compassion And he ran to his son. He embraced him and he kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servant, Quick, bring the finest robe. Bring it into this house and put it on him. Get a ring and put it on his finger and put some sandals on his feet. And kill that calf, that one that we've been fattening up. We must celebrate. We must have a big feast for this son of mine. He was dead, and now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So let the party begin. Now, if you're a party-loving prodigal, you love the story of this son who repents, who comes to his senses, and we discover that because he repents, some things began to fall in place for him. You know, Henry Ford was a brilliant man. But everybody makes mistakes. In 1896, in a shed on Bagley Avenue in Detroit, he built his very first successful automobile. He called it a quadricycle. When he finished it, he discovered that the quadricycle was too big to go through the front door of a shed. He had to tear down the shed and tear out the door and he had to take out the surrounding bricks and build the whole building over again. You see everybody makes mistakes. But we must not let mistakes keep us from moving forward. So we discover that when we repent, we go through a time of returning. The son returns. So he returned home to his father in verse number 20 of Luke chapter 15. He goes to his home. You know, 1 Peter 3.19 says that Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for the sinners. He died to bring them safely home to God. He suffered physical death so that he could be raised to life by the Spirit. How do you get what Peter is saying there? That when we come to our senses and we repent, we cash into what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Jesus never sinned. But he died for sinners, and he did it so that he could bring us safely home to God. Not only do we go home, but we see the Son also return to his Father. In Ephesians 3.17, it says that Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Oh, don't you love that? Home is where the Father is. Your roots will go down into God's love, go deep down into God's love, and he will keep you strong. You know, I remember growing up, I always thought my dad was the strongest man on the planet. My dad was pretty tall. He was over six foot tall, and I've never been near the height of my dad, and my dad was a big strapping man. And I remember we going out and and working, he could pick up these big things, and and I I always thought my dad was just so strong. When you have a relationship with God the Father, you're not going to be as strong as Him, but when you trust in Him, your roots go down in His love, and He keeps you strong. I always felt like everything was okay when Dad was around. As a matter of fact, I never liked driving with my mom. And the reason I never liked driving with my mom wasn't that she was a bad driver, but I always felt secure with my dad driving. I remember one time uh, we were coming back from visiting his parents, my grandparents, and our tire had this big bubble in it. And I said, "Well, I guess Dad's going to figure out what to do." And I never forget. There was several of us kids crammed in the car, and uh, that back tire had a bubble in it. And so my dad said, "Okay, now now listen, everybody, sit on the driver's side of the car. You see the back side of that car on the passenger side had a bubble on it." And he says, now, the reason you got to sit on this side is because we got to get the weight off of that side that has that tire with a bubble on it. And he says, we're going to make it safely to our destination. And so he drove us to a service station where they could repair that tire. And I said, man, that that is brilliant, right? Who would have thought to do that? My dad had some experience with tires that had bubbles on them. And thankfully, tires today, they're steel belted. And it's very rare, I think, that you'd ever have a bubble on a tire. But dad knew exactly what to do. There's something about being home with the father. This son, when he returned, he knew dad would know exactly what to do. And he wanted to be welcomed back as just a servant. He basically said, hey, dad, just just give me a room over the garage. That'll be fine. Take me on as a hired hand. But we discover something else about repentance. Repentance is not only just returning back home to the father. We discover that the father approves. You see, the story doesn't end with us. The story doesn't end with the prodigal. It ends with God. It ends with God. When God writes this aha story, we discover that the father is the hero. In Luke chapter 16, verse number 13, it says, No servant can serve two masters. He's going to hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. When the son came home, the father throws his approval on the son. In Galatians 1.19, it says, For now I am seeking the approval of man or God. Paul asks this question. If I'm trying to please men, I will never be able to please them, and I will lose the approval of Christ. Listen, when God approves you, you are approved. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about you. This son realized that he couldn't keep on serving two masters. He couldn't serve money and his father. He had to make a choice. So he decided to serve God. And he decided to serve his father. And as a result, he gets the approval of the father. Now, don't you love this? He ran. The son ran to the father. And then the father embraced the son. And then the father celebrated with the son. I want you to know that when you repent, there is a victory celebration in heaven. You are embraced by God. He runs to you. I love the fact that this prodigal never got his whole speech out. He never got the whole repentance story out. He just started the repentance story and and the father ran and met him. You know, there's something else about repentance. At a time of repentance, everyone is invited to celebrate. Now, notice I said everybody's invited. Not everybody will celebrate the fact that you are returning to Christ, but everybody's invited. In a recent Turning Point Daily devotional, David Jeremiah wrote these words. William Wilberforce, the English politician whose commitment to Christ fueled his career is remembered for his campaign to abolish slavery in the British Empire. What isn't well known is this financial disaster that befell on him after he retired from politics. His son invested the family fortune in a failed dairy farm, and the Wilberforce family lost everything, including their beautiful home. What I most miss, he said, will be my books. He said he lost everything. Wilberforce wrote, however, in his biography, he said, as he prayed and as he reflected walks along garden paths that were not his own, he arrived at the belief that this turn of events was in some way part of God's plan for his life. Wilberforce learned to count his blessings, and and he concluded that his heavy loss actually led to the solid, and the great influence of their enjoyments. You see, when we go from prosperity to poverty, it doesn't change who God is. His resources are undiminished, and His promises to care for us are unaffected. Good times form adversity, and goodness still follows every day until we go to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, a sad part of the Celebration that was taking place for the prodigal son is that the father's other son was quiet and left out. Uh, the father was quiet about this when the son left, but now this prodigal has returned and he's very outspoken about that, but his heart is still on that son who didn't repent. The end of the Bible is very clear that in the same way, there's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents more than over the 99 righteous persons who do not need repentance. We discover that this prodigal son was hungry, and he was poor, and he was disgraced after he left, but now he was full and rich and honored. You see, God never throws parties over unrepentant sin. The party is when the sinner comes home. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angel's over one sinner who repents, as you listen to this Friday broadcast, uh, maybe you're in a point in your life where you need to really get some things right with the Lord. It's time that you need to spend some time repenting. you know, coming to your senses, will I to be set free of that burden that you are carrying? Paul said at the end of his journey, "I have fought the good fight, I have finished a race, I have kept the faith." Now there is stored up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all those who have longed for his appearing. You know, I think about repentance. Repentance is an acknowledgement that I have fallen short of the glory of God, and, and maybe I've been trapped in this lifestyle that is displeasing to God. Maybe I've lost everything. You know, I tell the guys at Indian Creek Correctional Center often as much as you hate being incarcerated, for many of you, it was your aha moment. It was your come to Jesus moment where the good Lord had to slow you down to grab your attention. I think about Jonah when he was in that great whale, well, that great fish. That fish had never swallowed up Jonah. He would have never come to repentance, he would have died. Paul says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a great crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, is going to award me on that day. But he says, it's not only to me, but it's also to all those who have longed for his appearing. You know, George Mueller was asked one time, what is the secret of your service to God? Mueller's response was this. There was a day when I died. I utterly died. I died to George Mueller. His opinions, his preferences, his taste, his will. I died to the world. Its approval. I died to its approval. I died to the approval or the blame even of my brethren and my friends. And he says, and since then, I have studied to show myself approved unto God. I want you to know that when you experience repentance, you are given an opportunity to get into God's Word. Study and show yourself approved unto God, a workman who doesn't need to be approved, one who rightly divides the word of truth. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, we discover that the Lord does not look at things like people look at things. People look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know, so many times we're concerned about the outward appearance. I was reading about spiritual gifts and just taught a class on spiritual gifts and the importance of using our spiritual gifts, and then I read this story about a family one day that was visiting Washington, D.C., and one of the times as they were visiting Washington, D.C., a, a thunderstorm began. It was really a, a short-lived storm, and and it had that crackle of lightning and the rumbles of the thunder, and, and it had the pelting rain that soon gave way to peace. When the skies finally cleared, we noticed a rainbow, but the little girl couldn't see it. Nobody could see that rainbow until it was pointed out to her, and then they were able to tell the story about the rainbow. When this little girl saw that rainbow, her entire perception changed, and she saw that rainbow, and she giggled with delight. You see, the Holy Spirit can do that for us, just like it did for that little girl. He did the same thing for Samuel. When Samuel saw Jesse's oldest son, Eliab, and he thought that he must be God's choice for the next king of Israel, that's when the Lord reminded the prophet that he looks at the heart. When young David comes in from tending the flocks, Samuel heard the Lord tell him that he was the one. When Samuel looked at David, he saw only a little shepherd boy. When God looked at him, he saw a king. Thank God for the fact that he had a changed perspective. You know, you may be looking at your life and say, well, I don't have a whole lot to offer. I'm not strong. I'm not mighty. I want you to know God is not looking so much at your ability. He is looking at your availability. Maybe today you haven't been available for him. And maybe today you realize I've got to put myself in a position where I can just offer myself to him. In Exodus chapter 18, we discover that what Moses was doing was not good. He was working so hard that he didn't have any time left over to worship the Lord. And his father, Lord, comes up to him and says, Now listen, Moses, what you're doing is not good. Uh, This work is too heavy for you. You can't handle it alone. You see, we're living in a day and age where it seems like the vast majority of people are, are working so hard, they have no time for the Lord. They're working and doing good things, but the good things are keeping them from being completely surrendered to the Lord. Maybe today, uh, you look at your life and say, there's 168 hours in my week. You know, that's a common denominator that we all have. We may have different talents. We may have different amounts of income, but we all have the same amount of time. Why don't you look at the 168 hours that you have? And say, you know, you know, I'd like to give 10% of my time unto the Lord this week. And start beginning today, surrendering some of your time over to the Lord, making yourself available to Him. When I think about people who have done great things for the cause of Christ, the thing they have in common is that they spend time with the Lord. And maybe today you want to give the most important time of your life to the Lord, those early moments in your life those early moments of your day. You know, you only have one life to give and one life to live. And so soon it's going to be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You know, as I record this broadcast, I just received a text message and one of our members was in a slight accident and they were frustrated because the guy that uh, had caused the accident was not responding well and was trying to turn the events, and it was just a minor thing that turned into a major thing. I want you to know that sometimes the minor things in our lives are the times that God speaks to us the most. Those little times where you have an incident happen to you. God's saying, I want to see how you react to this minor inconvenience uh, maybe right now you're sitting in traffic and you're wondering, what in the world am I supposed to do as I'm sitting in this traffic? It's come to a standstill and we're just sitting here. You know, there's many times I've been stuck on the interstate. It seems that we have all these bridges and tunnels, and they back up often. And And I think sometimes God does it as a test and say, okay, preacher man, how are you going to respond sitting here in this traffic? Uh, are you going to use it as an opportunity to pray, an opportunity maybe to talk to that person next to you that is stuck in traffic? Just strike up a conversation with them. Uh, You know, they're doing the same thing as you are, waiting for things to clear up so they can get past the traffic jam. You know, I've discovered that times of traffic are times of testing. Lord, how am I going to respond? You know, many years ago, God brought a verse to me that has helped me in so many ways. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and it's a verse that talks about the trying of our patience. It talks about the fact that God is not going to allow us to be tried above that which you are able. But will in these times of trying provide a way of escape? I've found oftentimes that way of escape is the way that I think. Thinking differently about my circumstance. Thinking differently about what I'm facing right at that moment. I've discovered that God gives us a way of escape. Right now, the way you're thinking, is it a, a thought that is captured and made obedient to Christ? I want to close our time with prayer this Friday afternoon. Lord, give us the strength to go through the troubles that we're facing right now. Give us the ability to look at this trial through the lens of you and what you're trying to teach us at this moment. Thank you for the opportunity to be involved in your work and your ministry. Thank you for revealing yourself to us today. We pray that we'll have a great weekend. A weekend that honors you and glorifies you. And Lord, we're going to give you all the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, if I can help you in any way, would you give me a call? 757-421-7500. 757-421-7500. If I can pray for you, if I can help you in any way, I'd love to talk with you. You can leave me a message if nobody picks up the phone.